Welcome to episode two of the Plus Six podcast. My name is Pete. I go by AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me as co-host is a man who just completed a three-year experience putting together a 34,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. This is a man that has seen the light and is not taking comfortable scores of 110 points in VC loophole scenarios next season. This is also a man who is excited by the naming of Luke Shuey as West West Coast captain. This is a man who lives on the West Coast of Australia. You know him on Twitter as JeppaDT. Welcome to the show, Jepp. Thanks, Pete. It's uh, thirty-three thousand six hundred pieces, just for the for the record. But um, yeah, it's been a big couple of weeks, hasn't it? I, I think the listeners want to know: Did you hang the thirty-three thousand six hundred piece jigsaw puzzle without it falling apart? No, I haven't done it yet. It's going to take me some time. I've, as you can imagine, um, the puzzle in one piece uh, would weighs quite a bit. So I've got to make the backing frame it's basically like a truss system so there's a bit of there's a lot of work to be done on that it's that's probably going to take me as long as doing the puzzle so um yeah i've got to work on that part of it i've never seen a bigger jigsaw puzzle than what what you posted on twitter so if you for those that are interested go and check out jeopardy on twitter and uh, scroll back about a week or so and then you'll see how big that piece is it's magnificent now yeah 5.7 meters by 1.6 so yeah it's a bit of fun so a quick question I've got, when you said it took you three years, and I've looked at your average um, finish in AFL fantasy over the last three years, and I think there's a little bit of correlation there for poor performance. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. It's one of, you know, three years where I wouldn't touch it for a six-month period or something like that, much like fantasy where, you know, you, you get to the buy rounds and you get after that and you sort of see where you're at and, and on an overall rank sense and then you... You don't uh, study that intently, or I don't anyway, and you, you make silly captain calls, and yeah, you drop, you drop, you drop, and oh, I think I finished about 3,300 last year. Um, but yeah, not not my best effort, but um, start of the new season is uh, bright, and we've got lots of midfielders and fresh pickings to pick from. For sure. Uh, we'll get into the podcast this week, uh, with, and we're going to talk about... Um uh, a little bit in, in depth in on the midfield ownership and salary spend from the overall top 10 last season. And if there are any learnings available that can be implemented for the 2020 season. Uh, with so many players that overlap at the start of the season, the one area where we can take advantage of or find an edge is through, is, is through ownership. Um, last year, uh, through, the, through the top 10, um, three players were owned 100% in the midfield at round one. This is from the overall top 10. Uh, they were Brad Crouch at 524k, round one price. Sam Walsh, 270k. Charlie Constable, 170k. Um, the three players here that were mentioned um, all had a, a similar type scenario where their midfield role was kind of secure. Brad Crouch obviously had a pretty good uh, midfield role and was just coming off a, a 12-month injury. Uh, he was priced at 72 average to begin the season. Obviously significantly underpriced. Uh, Sam, Sam Walsh, we spoke about him in episode one. Uh, we discussed his role at Carlton and the opportunities that he had in a growing midfield. He was priced an average of 37 at 270k. Charlie Constable, although there were uh, many were waiting patiently for his um, debut at the Cats, uh, his numbers did suggest that he could um, be a strong performer at AFL level. There was a little bit of risk with, with uh, Chris Scott. 
uh, falling out of favour with um, Charlie Constable, but I guess when he was named at round one that we could be fully committed into selecting him in, in early in the season. Uh, ownership was going to be high on all the three of those players. Uh, obviously, they were 100% owned uh, by the top ten overall top 10, um, and avoiding or fading them at round one could have been actually detrimental to cash generation and obviously catching up through the early rounds of the season, Jep. Yeah, look, it's um, it's one of these things where you look at the players and the prices. It's you got two rookie price players and the mid pricer. So those those in the top ten, the variance really comes from the pre row mids that you start with and you pick, and that goes for all lines, doesn't it? That mm. it's it's signified there by the consistency being two rooks and one mid price. So. Again, we we got to nail our primos. As much as the rooks are important in our structure with mid prices along the way, if we don't nail our primos, and I'm again the the year I did well when I finished eleventh, I nailed my midfield primos to a T. I'd actually had Luke Park and Dan Hanabry in that team from round one, and they went on a merry dance that year. Um, it really. And having two primos in the one team wasn't common practice, obviously, um, but it, it just worked out for the best. So nailing primos is, is what I take out of that, Pete. Cool. Uh, the average spend in the midfield by the overall top 10 uh, was $4.65 uh, million. Um, and this equated to 36.4% of the 128 million dollar salary cap to start the season um looking back at my team uh I, my midfield spend was 4.4 million to start that was 34.5 so it's a little bit unders um but i was quite comfortable running with four mid to high price premiums plus Brad crouch and the rest of rookies um only two players above 700k uh, were owned in at least 50% of the top 10 teams at round one last, se- last season. They were Stephen Cornelio at 801k, he was priced at 110 average, and Angus Brayshaw, 763k, uh, he was priced at 105 average. Looking back at Angus Brayshaw, Jep, uh, there was one scenario where um, he was highly owned by the top 10, but he could have been one to get off early in the season based on his pretty much high ownership throughout the um, AFL community, AFL fantasy community. Yeah, he, I, I started with him last year. He was my friend, like captain yeah. too. Um, so it's uh, acknowledging that early obviously has its has its benefits, and it sort of gives you hope that if you if you don't necessarily nail all twenty two plays, you're still in with a ch- with a chance to mm. to perform well. Um, For sure, you know, we had Stephen Cornelio get injured earlier. Early-ish in the year from memory, and then Brayshaw's fall from grace was pretty obvious by round three. So I think by the end of two rounds, I call them fix-up trades. Um, at about round three, round two, um, Brayshaw was one of the top because of of the potential losses that were were forthcoming given his high price. Um, as mentioned, uh, Brad Crouch was selected in a hundred percent of teams by the overall top ten. Other mid-price players selected in at least 50% of teams were Tom Libertore, uh, 392k at 54 average, and Dom Sheed at 539k. Uh, priced, he was priced at 74. Um, 
I know a few people were on the Tom Liberatore train early, which he paid off handsomely. Uh, Dom Shed was a little bit more controversial selection uh, based off his uh, end of 2018 season. And people were quite sceptical what he could do. But he still did pay off early in the season, Jeff. Yeah, he did. I, and I didn't have either to start last year. Um, and that bit me bit me hard. So, um, yeah, Sheed, early roll. And, and again, with all mid-prices, the, obviously we want early performance from our mid-prices. The mid-prices aren't there for the long haul necessarily, not always. Um, I suppose... Um, Smith from the Crows last year was was there for some people after the buy rounds, but typically you want to get that um, get that cash generation early with the points and um, and upgrade towards you know post buy round or during buy rounds really. Mm. A healthy amount of ownership was also spread across three other players above 600k. Uh, that was Tom Rockliffe at 600k and he was priced at 83. Tim Taranto at 660k, he was priced at 91 average, and Rory Sloan 653k, he was priced at 90 average. Yeah, so Sloan surprises me. Um, like Rocky and Taranto, I think were, you know, the stats speak for themselves, but yeah, Sloan obviously priced at 90, probably, you know, plus 10 and getting in to an average of 100. It's Probably not the biggest gap, but Rocky and um, and Taranto, I suppose, there was bigger things um, put forward to him. So, look, I, I understand that. I, I think um, it's on the individual too with with each team's role. And, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily go Sloan. I think Sloan can be great some weeks, but I, I think he's one of the most inconsistent fantasy players going around. Of those last three players mentioned, I did start Tim Tarando and Rory Sloan. Um, I did. Fade, oh, right. I did fade Tom Rockliffe, um, and he was um, pretty decent early part of the season. Um, but I didn't want to get on the rocky train last season. Um, but Taranto and Sloan were in my team at round one last year, uh, based on value for me. Uh, that was one of the yep. key parameters of selecting my midfield. Yeah, look, and that's fair enough. Like it's. It's. I think what I've learnt last year and, and the way I started my team was I, I needed more balance um, across all lines. And, yeah, this is definitely giving me a, an insight into that. Cool. Only four players, uh, midfield players, were priced above 800k at round one in 2019. Um, as far as top 10 ownership... Um, went as Tom Mitchell was obviously 0% owned he was out for the season with a leg injury Jack McRae was 890k he was 0% owned by the top overall top 10 um, completely overlooked Andrew yeah. Gaff was also above uh, 800k he was at 803k at 0% owned uh, he was suspended until round 3 obviously uh, no one was going to own him for the first two rounds with, with no scores coming in. Uh, st- most of the ownership, due to Tom Mitchell being injured, uh, shifted onto Stephen Cornelia. Uh, he was at 801k, and he was 60% owned by the overall top 10. And he scored, what, 163-odd in round one from memory? Yeah, he was he was quite... Well, that's right. <laughs> we talked discussed that in episode one of the podca- yeah, podcast, and he's uh, straight off the bat for 160, 161 points, I believe. There's nailing your primos. Straight off the bat. And obviously when people are throwing Rockliffe on there, he was pretty pretty awesome in, in the early rounds as well. Yeah. 
and then your Taranto yeah. and Sloan in there. Uh, so that mix last year was pretty popular and it was pretty decent early on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, there were 29 midfielders priced between 700 uh, and 799k. Only four of those were owned by the overall top 10. That was Patrick Cripps at 40% owned, and Adam Trevillaw at 20% owned, Angus Brayshaw at 50% owned, and Matt Crouch at 10% owned. was just one coach of the top 10. Yeah, right. Okay. So, again, there's... I think I started with Crouch, I'm pretty sure, um, but those percentages for Brayshaw and Cripps are quite high. Yeah, especially the, looking back in hindsight at um, Angus Brayshaw. I mean, obviously, if you, you could have got off him, it would have been quite beneficial to spend that money elsewhere. Yeah, nailing the primos again, um, both ways. Uh, there were 40 midfielders priced between 600 and 699k last year. Only five of those were owned by the top 10. Uh, it was Jack Steele at 10%, so that's one of the top 10. Dustin Martin, 30%. Tim Tarano, 60%, we mentioned earlier. And here we go again. There's Rory Sloan, 50%. Tom Rockliffe, 70%. So it's the lower price players that were highly owned in that top 10. Yeah. And that, again, makes sense, doesn't it? That's, mm-hmm. um, that's pretty self-explanatory. Yep. And once we get down to the lower price players, um, obviously the ownership is, is, is pretty congested. Uh, Dom Sheed was at 50 These are the players between mid-price between 300 and 599k. Dom Sheed was at 50%. Brad Crouch, obviously, was 100% owned. Tom Libertore, 70% owned. And one coach had uh, James Cousin, Cousins. Uh, he was 10% owned, obviously, one out of 10. Uh, the, point mm-hmm. of, the point of difference in lower-type ty- lower value options was limited compared to those players uh, starting above 700k. Uh, due to the long-term injury, obviously, we mentioned earlier, Tom Mitchell ownership at the high end was moved on to Stephen Cornelia, and Jack McRae was completely overlooked. Uh, ownership for players be- below 300k was high. Identifying low price players has become so refined, I believe, that avoiding such options due to high ownership could be detrimental in the earlier weeks in the season when cash generation is so important. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, look, I, sorry, I'll just cut you off there. I um, couldn't agree more with that. It's um, It was rookies in the, in the mids. Um, and I think, again, going into the year, I think we're going to be Looking at the draft and where it all sort of landed in the end, we're going to have quite a handful of, of young mid-rooks in our um, starting 22. I guess what I'll look at there is looking at those numbers and, and how the top 10 sort of eventuated is that, um, I mean, you got a little bit of chalk early in the season with rookies. And once the season starts, that, that's the opportunity to gain an advantage through ownership. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's identifying early and after pre-season, obviously, um, what the average and what the scores should be. So it really goes on a on a return for dollars as well. Mm-hmm. You know, if what what rooks are going to be consistently named in each team, um, and what output is it going to be likely price per dollar and and all the rest of it. And that, that's the study, isn't it? It's um, you know, I think but at 270K, you mentioned earlier that that's a priced average of 37. Um, and, and Sam Walsh ended up near 90. So, mm. like, that's an extreme case. But a slow burn with maybe someone like a Raul or a Serong from um, Fremantle now, it's, um, it's going to be, it's probably going to be worth it because of 
what we're paying and the prices we're paying for other primos this year. Um, and look, it's yeah, look, it's it's going to be a good balance. I, I, it's going to be a hard balance, and that's what I struggled with the most last year. Is trying to get the balance. Um, I, I, and try not to be so traditional. I think this year I've got to be less stubborn. And last year I was trying to avoid the mid prices like the plague. And um, this year I've got to have a more balanced look at it. On um, and I'm going to really analyse that um, price to average scheme. I guess um, listening to the official podcast by Warney, uh, Roy, and Cal last night. Um, They've identified uh, a few numbers early in the season uh, for the 2020 season. And the prices for the rookies will stay the same at their, obviously, at the number one draft pick will stay the same. And the 170k bottom price players will also still the same. Um, there's a 200k increase in salary cap up to 13 million. So I suspect. Um, that looking at the 170k bottom price players, they are now, um, that 170k is equivalent to 22.9 points, whereas last year was, I was only a little bit um, above that, was 23.4 points, but 170k players are now priced at 22.9 points to begin the season. I suspect that actually might distribute ownership, uh, as long as we've got plenty of rookies early in the season, across a fair amount of teams, Jeff. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I, I don't want the vanilla teams. Um, you know, we, we spoke earlier um, about an off-podcast off about Marlon Pickett and and Tom Mitchell and the popularities of those players that we'll go into 2020 with. But mm. um, I, I, I hope the availability is there for the, for the younger, you know, 170K rooks. I just can't see it happening, mate. I just mm. can't. See, I look at team lists, I look at balance. Um, you know, I mentioned Frio in the last podcast, and yeah, there's probably two, three spots there for, for Rooks. Um, but other than that, I think we're really, really going to struggle more than ever looking, on, um, on, on Rooks having consistent job security. Yeah, looking at last year, I went back and looked at the rookie debuts in round one last year. Obviously, that that's got no uh, correlation to what's going to happen next year. But um, last year, were there 12 rookies debuted in round one, which still is a pretty high number. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but again, we were... Bl- yeah, go on. We but, were a little bit blessed, but between... Yeah, Port Adelaide, we got a bit to thank Yes, but. did get blessed there. They, were, they debuted four in round one, and Geelong mm. actually debuted four in ra- round one. Um, so they made up the, the majority of... Actually, it was... 22 going back on my number there. So it was 22. It was quite a high number. Yeah, um, right. So okay. bet- between two, rounds two and seven, there were at least two rookies debut in each week thereafter. So if we can get those sort of numbers into the 2020 season, I suspect with those rookies um, just a little bit cheaper, uh, well, not cheaper, but cheaper by average, uh, that we might have some sort of um, ownership distribution. Yeah, he's hoping. Um, he's hoping, mate. For sure. Obviously, um, our goal throughout the, the, the podcast, the Plus Six podcast in the preseason, is to make sure that we all get on the correct rookies at round one, for sure. Oh, yeah. And you know the advice is going to come from me in that sense. So um, I, um, I'm studying my rookies as, as hard as I used to um, a few years ago. So, yeah, looking, looking really hard at it after the draft. 
once again that correlates into that jigsaw puzzle finishing. That's oh all, yeah, that's all. <laughs> uh, let's take a look, little bit look back at um, the overall winner Craig's t- midfield um, ten from last year. Obviously, we discussed it on episode one um, a couple of weeks ago, and we sort of stopped for a little bit of a discussion that round eight he had completed his midfield. So I just did a little bit more digging on, on what his midfield looked like and where he took advantage of certain ownership levels uh, that sort of um, differenti- differentiated his team um, from the majority. Um, he started with Stephen Canilio, Rory Sloan, Tom Rockliffe, and Brad Crouch at round one. By round eight, he still owned all four. Um, Zach Merritt was was traded in. Uh, he did suffer a price drop earlier at round one. He scored 50, uh, 50 points, and he did um, drop a significant amount of salary. So obviously that was one player that most, most people took advantage of trading in if they didn't already select him prior to round one. So that was Zach Merritt there. Uh, Patrick Dangerfield was moved into the midfield. So that was the sixth player. Uh, he he did move him into the midfield from the forward line. Um, Dane Zorko was one there uh, that was uh, completely overlooked by the majority that he was traded in as a point of difference. And Andrew Gaff was targeted by Craig. Um, obviously, the first two rounds he was suspended. Um, and he ended up being the highest ranked player to score 100 points or more in the 2019 uh, home and away season, so he was the highest percentage of games played to score 100 points or more. So there's there was one that player there certainly in Gaff that he identified that was scoring well and would have low ownership. Um, uh, Dane Zorko, Andrew Gaff uh, were all traded in by round eight, as I mentioned. The top hundred at this stage had Zorko at one percent owned, Andrew Gaff at 31 percent owned, and Merritt obviously who suffered the pro- uh, price drop. He was at 59 percent owned, so obviously his ownership started to skyrocket based on his drop-in salary. Um, as I mentioned last week in the episode one, Sam Walsh was traded out at round eight, and at that stage in the top 100, uh, he was 85% owned um, in that scenario. Uh, those ownership numbers are by Rick on top. Um, Eric, um, I'll post out, um, he's linked to his Twitter account. He does do um, some good numbers throughout the AFL fantasy season, so I'll send that link out on Twitter tomorrow. Um, so, but there's some interesting numbers and choosing your players based on ownership once the season starts. Zorko at 1%, Gaff at 31%. There were two players there that were scoring well and they were unique to the top 100 jet. So, he's had he's got eight primos in his midfield, at including Danes Fillers of Ford, yeah. at yeah. round eight. Yes. So that's... And then he's got Stack and Bailey Scott as his backup. Correct, that is pretty good going. So not only is he nailed his uniques or primos, being Zorko and Gaff, mm. I'll leave Merritt out of it because I think that ownership percentage is inflated um, from the non-diehards, if we call it that. Yep. Um, he would have been a pretty common pick and just wouldn't have been updated from a lot of coaches. But, yeah, that's um, eight primos by round eight. Yep. It's got a bit of a ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah, so. But- the key for me is that the, the Zorgo at uh, Zorgo at one percent and Gaff at thirty one percent versus the yeah. top top one hundred at that stage. Yeah, he's absolutely nailed it early, and that's good giving him the jump. Yeah, so those numbers that Eric does send out throughout the year um, are quite crucial. And if you're starting to rank highly um, in the early parts of the season, and your target is for overall rank, this is one Twitter account that you cannot miss. Yeah, good mate, Eric. I like him. He's a good lad. 
posted out some good numbers. I actually was scrolling through those yesterday when we we're doing research for this for this podcast, and there was some numbers that were just screaming off some of those pages that we could have certainly took a, taken advantage of. Yeah, um, and oh, those, I... those numbers will be there again next year, and we just need to identify them for our listeners, Jeff. No, and we will absolutely for sure. So I'm I'm looking at Zorko now, and I'm trying to ascertain from round eight, just just as a Quick point, and bear with me. Computer's yep. not the biggest thing in the world. No, that is not the right way. There we go. So, from round eight onwards. So, starts the year with the 94, 71, 106, 92, 88, 75, and then round seven, he gets a 136, mm-hmm. which, is the, which is the attention-seeking game against the Swans. Then from round eight, so I'm banking... He's had Zorko for that 136, I'm, I'm guessing. He may not have. So he's potentially traded in Zorko on the back of 75 against Gold Coast. And then the ne- these are these next few scores, 136, 134, 118, 99. Then a couple of drops in 80 and 80. Then he's gone 120, 143, 121, 102, 103, 118. So... <laughs> Just as a loose example of, of, of performance at that time around round eight, you know, the 130 milestone as a fantasy player, it's pretty pretty epic. So low ownership and scoring 136s, that's going to shoot you up the uh, the rankings pretty quickly. For sure, 1%. Um, looking back at um, Craig's team there, he traded him in after round seven. So he did see the 136 score. So, okay. So Zorko did average um, eighty-eight points for the first six rounds. Yeah. Okay. And then and then he popped up for one thirty-six, and then Craig's traded him in at round eight, and he was one percent owned. So for the next, let me just drag that across. For the next eleven rounds, Zorko has averaged uh, one hundred and ten points. Um. So and he's scored um just after the buy there that popped up to 117 points he was averaging. So he's grabbed him at the perfect time. He's waited for the price drop for Zorko, obviously averaging um, 88 points in the first six rounds. Seen the 136, okay, he's right to go. And then and then t- instant ta- targeted him into the team. And at 1% owned, there was, a, there was your point of difference. And once that season starts, there are advantages out there. Uh, most people talk about vanilla teams. Everyone's got the same, but Craig didn't have a vanilla team. He had Dane Zorko at one percent. That's that's right, and that's identifying these primos. Um, and as much as we we all usually usually think the same, and a lot of the the stats speak for itself, it's identifying. So if I look back at the Zorko pick specifically, and and what happened with Brisbane last year, as an up and coming team. Lockie Neal supporting getting the hard ball out to Zorko, which I think having Lockie Neal beside him has helped his fantasy scores, in my opinion. Um, And then, you know, the the determination, well, not the determination as such, but the... um, the will to do well with Brisbane on on their role when they they went in that mid-patch of the year on a a pretty... um, some pretty impressive wins. I think having that confidence within himself as a player um, reflected again on performance. So, yeah, it's um, a bloody good pick when you look back at it and just loosely analyse him as a footballer and the team he played for. Mm. And Lockyer was getting most of that attention early. 
uh, it's something that he had to deal with and obviously uh, Dane Zorko is in there is taking advantage and that's one one thing that, that we wanted to highlight to the listeners there it's not particularly attacking the number one midfielder in the team it is actually going to the number two and three number three midfielders that don't get the attention like a Josh Dunkley he's number three in the Western Bull- Bulldogs midfield Pontempelli gets the attention Jack McRae gets the big numbers and Josh Dunkley just, just settles in there and just racks up some high numbers without any attention at all um, and Zorko would be one of those players that, that comes in at number two who can put up big numbers as well. And that's where you've seen Jared Lyons last year. He was putting up um, decent numbers week on week as well. That's right. And again, I look at his top eight midfield, or his eight primos in round eight. Cornelio, you could argue, is the number one midfielder at GBS. You'd probably go Kelly or Whitfield as a tag. Mm. Zach Merritt's probably a tagging target, so that's probably against the rule of thumb or what we're discussing. Mm. And Rawley Sloan does get tagged as well from time to time. Rockcliffe rarely tagged at Port Adelaide. He's not the greatest kick in the world. Um, but And then Dangerfield is an obvious, probably an exception to the rule as well there. So, yeah, um, Gaff, though, does get tagged um, from time to time um, out in the wing. So, look, generally, that, that rule, you're right. We've got to consider when when our primos and, and um, if they're the number one target for opposition. Um, but, um, yeah, looking at that list globally, it's, um, he's got a good balance there, I reckon. I reckon he's, he's, he's nailed it. And it's not even like, yeah, the Sloan picks has got me stuffed a bit, but... Um, it was a like, value selection before round one, and that's why I selected him. So I'm, I'm presuming that Craig decided on that yeah, as a value yeah. selection as well. And still by yeah. round eight, you've, you've still got him in your midfield there. Yeah, so he's, he's backed him in and, and probably got some good performances out of him. Um, but, like, there's no other... And I can take Dangerfield out because he's a forward, but um, there's no real... Um, there's 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 no common picks amongst it. Like, Kinele is probably a common pick at Rockcliffe to a point. And Dangerfield, obviously, but everyone, everyone else is pretty, um, pretty mellow by there. So yeah, I he's he's done this research, I reckon, and he's nailed it. When you're looking back at the Rory Sloan selection, um, looking back on his average for the first ten rounds, he did average 112. So he he popped an extra 20 points above his starting price. So that's one going back to your point of nailing your premiums or mid-price premiums. That was one that was certainly. Um, Nailed as well, averaging well above his starting price. Yeah, and look, I've I've been scarred by Rory in, in past years mm. um, with consistency, and I'm pretty big on consistency as well as good scores. But um, yeah, it's, that aside, and we've all, you know, we look at Travis Boak and the, how he started last year, and um, the ownership around Travis Boak wouldn't have been high, too high to start, you know, in the first three rounds, um, but. Um, yeah, I, I just yeah I think as great as great a scorers as some players can be, we we do need to rely on them um, at some point during the year with some level of consistency. And I remember I was, I've had Sloan and he's burnt me with sixty a couple of times in the past, and I don't forget the uh, those sort of performances, right? But um, maybe I'm going to stop having so many grudges when I do better. Fool me once, fool me once, fool me twice. Oh yeah, it's. It's, it's the thing, isn't it? And again, like, we talk about targets and number one targets in team. You've got Nat Fife, one of the best players in the competition. It's going to obviously the number one target for um, for free, being amongst Fremantle's midfield. Um, do we do we bank in on more midfield time? 
quote end quote for Michael Walters? Um, or do we back Fife in because he's so good and he can take the tag and because he's got that much responsibility in that midfield now, mm. um, more than more than 2019? Does that equate to um, higher scores? So it's there's some educated guesses. Well, not educated guesses. There's some educated risks, I think, um, is the term I should use. I, I, um, I, I look at his. I look at um, Craig's eight primos again, and I don't. Re- I reckon I might have three of the eight, if that. Mm. I would have had three of the eight at the time mm. in the year. So that just shows um, the the uh, the point of difference that he's got. I know you and I discussed the Rockliffe of um, at that stage around about round eight where he was um, scoring well, um, and then you and I were discussing uh, in our DMs with the DMs that you know it's it's the time not to select him, it's the time to absolutely fade him because the whole world's going to jump on these high scores. Yeah, and I think yeah. um, at that particular time that um, we did fade him and then he did start to drop off unfortunately. Yeah, and it, but it could have burnt against us. So, I, again, like I started the year um, without Lockie Whitfield. And, um, and look how that turned out. So, mm. <laughs> it's, um, we, you can bank on, on one thing happening and it doesn't always work out. So, oh, look, it's, there's some intriguing cases, much of which we'll discuss throughout the preseason. Yeah, I think that it gets to the stage where you actually have to bite the bullet and take some players on. with Of course you do. Oh, absolutely. No doubt in my mind. You can't play it safe. You can't sit on the fence and, and pick a, a vanilla team. It's not just... No way. Um, you have to, I think, balance your team first and then have, like, identify players that are going to have potentially a breakout, breakout years and really analyse every single player in your 22. You know, we... And I'm notorious for this. Last-minute shuffle in the last week. Teams get named on Wednesday night. You know, you got the Thursday lockout. You're like, oh shit, who's which? Prim- which books are in? Do I change my structure? And 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 two months worth of fantasy, three months worth of fantasy research goes out the window in, in mm. a matter of days, mm. um, just because three rookies. Uh, let's dare I say, it, Relson Roberts is named in in Richmond's round one team. Mm. Um, so you really got to back yourself, back your structure, back the, a balanced lineup, um, and analyse every single player on your list. Absolutely. I think uh, once we get towards round one, we'll be uh, obviously covering those in podcasts, and and hopefully there's uh, what we've put the research in and delivered out to the listeners that we're pretty much close on to those rookies uh, playing round one. Uh, but obviously it comes down to potentially injuries um, for others, or actually a healthy list for others, and and the rookies do miss out. Yep, and um, look, that that's the way it's going to have to be. Um, with with Brooks, you um, you, you want to try l- limit that. Right? A rookie is a risky pig, just from a job security point of view. So you, you as best as we'll identify them out through the preseason. Um, a million things can happen during the season, and um, and rookies are expendable. No politics too much with the first and second year players. So. Um, yeah, look, I looking at it early and looking how the draft fell, um, sort of fell with Frio being most notable playing rooks, um, as well as um, Gold Coast and 
even like one I'm looking extra hard at, and I know we're doing a separate podcast on the Rooks, I just want to touch quickly on someone like Dylan Stevens for Sydney, who I think is going to get great opportunities. So, mm. um, yeah, it's um, not locked into one overall fantasy structure. You know, my notes now, and I'm happy to share this with everyone because I know I've bloody changed, but I've got some notes on structure within my 22, starting 22. My back line's three primos, three rooks. Um, and at the moment there, I've got um, Hayden Young flagged from Frio as one of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the centre line as four primos, one mid-price and three rooks. Um, these are just loose notes. Ruck, um, I do have note here two primos, but, you know, that can change depending on who puts a hand up throughout pre-season. And then forward line, three primos, three rooks again. So sticking with... What, I, what burnt me last year, having a really imbalanced team and going for a more balanced approach, but at the same time, though, within the balance of, of my lineup, I'm going to have uniques and, and educated and analysed um, players across all 22, including the looks. So, you know, I, I've, again, I mentioned, I'll mention Devin Smith from Essendon again, injury... Um, Ravaged year last year, it will come at a bit of a discount and probably not as popular. I think Doherty will be pretty bloody popular for obvious reasons if he can stay healthy. Um, and then we've got Tom Mitchell as well. Um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot to ex- get excited about. I, you know, I think we're going to have to wait to the end of January to um, see Fantasy Open and, and the real fun starts. But um, And it's good that the traders and um, the lads are giving away some hints to diehards like ourselves i guess uh, it will be interesting to see where your team versus my team lines up at round one at this stage i've got an open mind to structure and to all players so uh we were we won't swap any notes on who we're picking because we're obviously quite competitive between each other <laughs> so <laughs> it's go- our rookies we i suggest that we're going to be pretty similar uh based yep. on based on the research that we do um, but I suspect uh, we're going to be we could be quite different again at round one uh, in in the 2020 AFL fantasy season. So it's it's going to be quite good uh, once that um, Friday night lock comes at round one that we send each other our team and then we just start. <laughs> let's say, hey, say, let, say, let's say, do a podcast at the end of round one, hey, and um, yeah. and we can compare our teams and have a laugh. I suspect I suspect we're still going to be quite different. So for the listeners out there that, that think that we're just going to nail a team straight up based on our research, I mean, but there, there's different method, there's a different approaches. Um, my method's different to um, Jepper and obviously to thousands of others out there uh, and to the, to the already um, good base of listeners to the podcast. So um, once again, we'll go through our process. Mine will be different to, to Jep and then uh, listeners can take out of... Um, each of Jep and, and I what you think that is um, applicable to your team and potentially you could uh, have a higher high ranked team by the end of the 2020 season oh, I reckon they will guys I reckon well I reckon they will Pete it's um, the one thing I love about you and, and we talk about fantasy a lot during um, the season is your analysis and your stats and how you look at it globally you, you think outside the box where I'm probably more of a traditionalist admittedly and um, I think the listeners will get two perspectives um, with that so that's that's an advantage yeah I think so as well so yeah um, putting out um, 
So different thoughts. I think I think about fantasy and footy uh, quite a lot differently to most other people, um, and obviously I do well out of that uh, that thought base. Uh, so hopefully we can provide some um, good answers throughout the preseason and throughout the season. So just just on that note, we'll wrap up that discussion on ownership and the salary spend. Um, just a quick note that we did send out a little bit of merch on Twitter today. It was a trucker cap with a plus six podcast logo on there. Uh, we're going to give a, a few away throughout the preseason. Um, how you can potentially get a hold of one is um, each time we send out a link to a podcast throughout the preseason, all you have to do is give it a, a, a retweet. So one retweet equals one entry. So throughout the, the preseason, if you see a podcast link out sent on the Twitter feed of Plus Six Podcast, uh, give it a retweet, and then towards the end of the preseason, we'll give away uh, quite a few trucker caps um, uh, for your wearing, I guess. Uh, Jeppo and I have nearly completed our draft research. We'll likely split those up into three podcasts very soon. I suggest within the next couple of weeks we'll release those so there's something over the Christmas period that you can listen to. Um, I go through uh, quite a lot of footage and Jeppo also goes through quite a bit of footage and research into scores. Um, so hopefully we can start to nail these rookies uh, in advance of everyone else sort of opening up their fantasy team. Um, on that note, we'll wrap up episode two of the Plus Six podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in and have a nice day. Thanks, everyone.